Hello and welcome to Podcast of Lincoln Geek. I'm your host, the podcast general, the sussy one himself, the Dan Face. Hello everyone, and thank you for listening to our little show about board games. I am joined by my friends and regular co-hosts. Uh, I'll go top down on the list. I've got Giorgio. Say hello, Giorgio. Pokemon, Pokemon, Pokemon. I'm a Giorgio. Mr. Chris. Say hello, Mr. Chris. Hello, everybody. I hope you're all well. We are. Thank you very much. And uh, the reason I left him till last is because this episode is all about him. It is the man so loud, Brian Blessed once told him to keep it down a bit. <laughs> <laughs> hello, world. It is Pete. Hey, Pete. How you doing? Yeah, not bad. Thank yourselves. <laughs> good, good. George is probably going to enjoy this one because when he kind of joined the podcast channel, well, he was always part of the team, but he didn't do the first initial podcasts. So we had a bit of an interrogation episode. For George, where we just kind of rapid-fired him the questions that he'd missed earlier. One of us. One of us. Acolytes. Can we call him He's acolytes? the greenie. Yeah. <laughs> no, that we call. Acolyte to the cult of the imp. <laughs> we have Pete. <laughs> Not too long ago joined the team, so we thought we'd give him the same interrogation. If you're up for that, Pete. Of course. Yeah, eight questions. We're not going to do every single episode, Pete. You'll be relieved to hear, no doubt. Or that would be a really long podcast to catch up on. And a large interrogation in comparison to Mr. George Yo. Yeah, he he got off lightly by comparison. I'll ask the first question. We might as well take it in turns after that, though. So, Pete, you will talk. What was your first modern slash gateway game? So, kind of the first game that wasn't kind of Monopoly. Am I allowed to say the name? Yes, you are. Okay, it's Battlestar. Woohoo! Three hours later. So um, I was visiting Dan for one weekend back when we were in our mid-twenties. Back in the day, we would just sit around, oh, eat fast food, drink a lot of beer, and play a lot of video games. And Dan sort of walked up to me and said, hey, I've got this board game based around Battlestar. And I was like, oh, cool. What's a Battlestar? <laughs> I think I may have heard of the show either version in passing, but I didn't really know much else. And then I think we maybe have like a quick demo game. I think it was you, your now wife, and myself. And very first time playing this game, I drew a Cylon card. And I had absolutely no idea what to do. Oh, no. And I was bricking myself. And I managed to win simply because we misread the Centurion thingy, Bob. He just kept increasing every turn. So I just thought, if that fills up, I'll win. And sure enough, we did. Technically, not a valid win, but... Still counts, in my opinion. It still counts, yeah. Yeah, well, great choice of first game. Talk about chucking you in the deep end, Pete. There is another one as well, uh, Last Night on Earth, which is a really fun zombie survival game where one player... Well, you can have multiple players, but the best way to play it, I think you and I found, Dan, is one player is human, one player is zombie. Yeah. And basically, uh, the zombies have to kill X number of players, and players have to complete some kind of in-game objective. That's the word. I think, like, survive X turns or fill up a car, I think it's another one. Not played that in literal years. I remember that game. I like that game. The board's modular as well. So whereas before you might have, say, the, um, a gas canister close to the truck, in the next time you do that campaign, it could be completely opposite side of the board, which just adds a little bit of little extra spice, I think. Two very good games for you to start your entrance into the hobby there, Pete. Well done. Which game would you use to introduce new gamers to the hobby? I'd say the Forbidden series. I often thought about taking Forbidden Ireland around to my mum's, uh, during Christmas period to sort of introduce her. I think it's a very, very simple, easy-to-understand game. It's cooperative, so people aren't butting heads or getting anxious about... Sometimes when I'm playing games I don't know, I don't really like antagonising more skilled, experienced players. I tend to like hiding my own little corner. The Forbidden series gets rid of that because there is no, ooh, if I do this, will I annoy that player? Because we're all working together. And I think it just makes a really good introduction to board games that are a bit more complex than Cluedo or Monopoly. Yeah, co-op games are great. Um, 
entry mm. kind of gateway game, I think as well. I agree there. Especially if you've got nervous new players. Yes, and you don't want to like you don't want to brutally destroy new players really, unless you're George. I have a le- teaching style. Different teaching style. Trial by you fire. make George out to be this monster. He's he's admitted he's chaotic evil. I don't think we should. Oh, I know he's chaotic evil, but he's not a monster. No, chaotic stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Next question, Chris. Have you got the list in front of you? Yes, I certainly have. So, Pete, you obviously may have heard about our unpopular opinions, but what might be your unpopular opinion? I'm kind of mixed on big, expensive games. I'm single and I live alone, and I have no real desire to change that anytime soon. So when I see like a big 70-odd quid game, I look at it and I think to myself, that looks great. That's probably going to sit on my shelf and just never get played. I'm certainly not not adverse to spending large chunks of money. I bring home six figures a month, as in six He-Man figures a month. So it's not like I'm against the idea of spending lots of money. I was going to say six figures. I was going to say you can start buying my games for me. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. No, like six action figures a month. (laughs) I just leave that part out when I'm chatting to people. It's not that I'm against the idea of spending, say, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 quid. But I find with action figures to be a bit more justifiable because it's like, well, I can swap out parts, I can pose it, I can rearrange it, whereas a board game, usually I'll need at least three to four other players who are interested and trying to get a bunch of people into a game that they've maybe got no interest in, maybe they're not really into sort of more like in-depth board games that require six hours. I love the idea of big box games. I saw one a few years ago for Doom, and I really wanted to buy it because the miniatures looked fantastic, and as a kid of the 90s, I loved Doom in general. But... Like I said, you know, this was like 70-odd quid, and I just thought, that's just going to be shelf decoration. It'll look nice, but it'll never get played. You're hesitant to spend large amounts of money on a game so you don't think you'll get to play that often, really, in your yeah, situation. Yeah. I'm in a similar position, really. I don't really live with any gamers. I mean, I'm sure my son might be a gamer when he's uh, older. Who knows? I'd be like, put down the football, come back inside. <laughs> but I understand what you're saying there, Pete. I mean, mm. I, I kind of can relate. Um I'm not kind of wowed by big box games at the minute just because I don't think I'm really in a situation where I'll get to play them and they'll just sit on my shelf of shame. Maybe if I were to move closer to Lincoln so that a trip to Lincoln isn't basically a quarter of a day. If I could drive back to and from Lincoln during a lunch break, for example, I'd probably be more open then. But Or maybe if I can perhaps maybe try and get more people I know locally to play sort of these sorts of games. But until that's a possibility, it's just, like you said, it's going to sit on my shelf of shame mm. And, you know, like that 70 quid could go towards, say... Three or four action figures. Exactly, yeah. Action. Exactly, yeah. No, I get yeah, where you're coming from. Even from like a logistics point of view, from what little I understand about um, action figure tooling, I can imagine it's a similar like high level of cost to produce a board game. So when a game costs 70 quid, I can totally understand why it costs 70 quid. I just can't justify spending that much money when, as we've discussed a few times, it will just be basically an action figure I can't pose. We'll move on to the next one. Pete, what's your favourite gaming moment? Do you have one that sticks in your mind? I have a few. Do, does D&D count? Because a couple of my stories are D&D based. We do a lot of role-playing stuff. It, yeah, of course it counts. Yeah. Give us Tame a top gaming. So my first moment is basically any time I've managed to dupe Dan or someone similar in a Hidden Tracer game. As we've joked many a time, I don't really have the capability to lie very well, and I'm not very good at reading body language and conveying my body language very well, so... So, so you're a natural for social deduction games? Yeah. <laughs> basically, I don't know what the word poker face means uh, yep. outside of the song. So whenever I do manage to trick someone, it's basically a small win. So, you know, I can probably count on one hand that's been through a wood chipper, how many times I've actually managed to do it, and I do ask, please engrave that on my gravestone. Um, <laughs> 
As for D&D, there was this campaign that I played with a few friends from about 2017 to 2018. The entire campaign in general was just chaotic. I felt like the only sane man in a party of lunatics, and it was an absolute joy. Twice, my character nearly burnt to death, thanks to the actions of other players. The first time, we had rested in a small inn, and ghouls had come up the stairs to attack us in our sleep. The elf, who didn't need to sleep, saw this... And instead of waking everyone up, cast a fire spell indoors on the first floor of a building and pretty much uh, turned the entire staircase into fire. It's the building made of wood, Pete. Pretty much, yes. So, <laughs> so we managed to scramble out the window just. So no one rolled a one falling out the window then? <laughs> no, but I think a session or two later, we were battling some spiders and my friend Sean had joined us as a paladin. And I think he rolled a one when attacking. So the DM said, okay, you swung so hard you've thrown your sword into a nearby building. Keep fighting. So we slay the spiders and we go inside. Of course, my exposure to paladins are games like Final Fantasy IV, where the paladin's sword is this divine, holy blade passed down, blessed by the greatest of all priests and passed down from father to son and, you know, something legendary, Excalibur, basically. So my friend and I go into the shed that the spiders came from to free his sword. I fail my first roll and get caught in spider's web. And the druid came in with a torch and said, oh, web melts. I'll set fire to the web in this small shack to free everyone. Web doesn't melt. Web burns. And my character struggled to break free from the burning house Thankfully, he managed to. And then, then my friend said, oh, here's my sword. It was a bog-standard generic sword. <laughs> my character specialized in axes, and I have bought an, a bog-standard generic sword. I turned to my friend and said, if you had told me that, I would have given you mine, because I don't use the bleeding thing. <laughs> there was another time where I went into a cave, and there were some wolves that were chained up, and they were very, very rabid. And I thought, okay, we should kill these wolves for our own safety. And no one agreed with me. Someone said, hey, let's try and tame the wolves. And I thought, okay, fine. I did the first roll. I've got a bad feeling about this. Natural 20. The wolves love me. And then the DM said, okay, but they're still chained up. Try and free them. Roll again. Natural 20. So I basically had three wolves that just adored me. They were all over me. Like, I, I was their mum. So the DM lets keep the wolves. And about five minutes later, he realized his mistake because it basically broke the entire session. I basically, every time I got into, into a fight, I basically just said, Wolves, dinner's over there, and they go eat the monster. Until the final battle, in which I kept rolling low, every time I went to do my Wolves Do Thing ability, I'm pretty sure one of them cleaned itself, if you know what I mean. One gave me puppy eyes, and I can't remember what the third one did. Suffice to say, come the next session, the DM said, uh, Pete, your Wolves, you're going to leave your Wolves at the cave, and you'll come back and visit them at some point in the future. I never did. Oh, I was really worried, Pete, that was going to end with the uh, Wolves being set on fire. we'll have to move on to the next question uh george are you still there yes what's the worst board game you've ever played or that you've not played because you just knew it was that bad it's the game boss monster but i put that more because every other game i've played is much much better and because this left, left a very bad first impression the general idea is you choose a boss monster that's totally not a ripoff of various iconic classic video game characters and you have to build a dungeon, drawing cards from your hand and playing them in front of you. Each card has a certain uh, symbol on it, one of four. In the village, you'll find heroes that seek these, these icons. And the idea is they'll come to your dungeon, they'll run through it, and the idea is that you're meant to kill them and take their soul. Problem is, when you're first starting the game off, you're only putting down one room per turn, and these heroes have like five, six, ten HP. So whereas normally like you'd have like half a dozen or so rooms that would slowly whittle down their health, 
early game, they're basically just going to run through the entire dungeon, attack you, harm you, and then run away and live happily ever after. At least that was my experience when I first played it with Dan many moon ago, because I don't think the game is too well balanced for two players. Hmm. I think it's more fairly balanced for four or six players, because the idea is, if two players have equal number of these symbols, the hero will basically just sit on its thumb until one of the players breaks the tie. So in theory, if you've got a very, very weak dungeon, if you and another player can tie for two or three rounds, you can then both buff up your dungeon enough. When the heroes finally do come and visit, they get slain. If the player is harmed 10 times, they die. Or if they gain 20 souls, they win. And I remember reading the rules for the uh, Boss Monsters 2, which felt more like a, a, a revision of the game, and it had a comment something along the lines of, if a player dies early in the game, you can just ignore that. And that kind of sort of said to me, okay, so they've heard the criticism, but they've not really addressed it. They said if this happens, just ignore it. <laughs> yeah, basically. Sometimes that's the case with games. They have this awesome appeal, and then you play it, and you're like, yeah, that was just a pile of poop. <laughs> well, Boss Monster I want class as a poop, just slightly smelly, perhaps. I don't know. Yeah. It wasn't that bad. I think the, the theme is fantastic and the, pres- oh, yeah. the presentation was great. The gameplay is, is just quite light, isn't it? And I didn't find it very replayable. Okay. What is the most obscure game you own? So, out of your collection, which is the weirdest or that you don't think anyone else owns that you know of? I'd say it's a game called Zeus on the Loose, which I mentioned as a comment for one of your prior podcasts. I've actually never played it. I was browsing around Worcester with, with some family, saw, I think, a random toy shop, thought, oh, that's got board games in there. I'll have a quick gander. And I found that one. I thought, I like Greek mythology. I'll buy that. And I never played it. I should really play it. But I think it's basically a game where you play various cards, similar to uh, Six Nymphed. And I think the idea is that you gain enough power that you can eventually grab the Zeus token. And then I think you then have to like keep it for like a round or two to win the game or something like that. It's an interesting game, theming-wise. I just never got around to playing it. Um, I, mean, I think we've got to have the surprise final question, haven't we? Go on, then. What? Pete, are you evil? No. Are you sure? Yes. Are you not not evil? I am not not evil. Uh, I was expecting him to like make the Windows error noise there and crash. Your programming has improved, Pete. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I managed Brilliant. to trick you when I saw you a few weeks ago, so... You did. I've been hurt, Pete. <laughs> I, would, I would never lie to you, Pete. I can't believe you would ever do that to me. Thank you very much, Pete. Fun episode to record there. Thank you for your time. And we are now... Uh, no consider yourself fully interrogated and welcome into the fold. I'll let someone else do the social media blurb. Da, 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 da. Go for it, George. If you want to catch up on everything Diary of a Lincoln Geek, you need to go to our lovely redesigned website, diaryoflincolngeek.com or doalg.com uk for shorts and do get on our discord server it is awesome we chat with you guys all the time and great way of playing games with us as well brilliant well thank you for your time everyone and uh, for all you listening at home or doing the lawn or what doing the dishes whatever you're doing everyone keep gaming see you later keep gaming bye keep keep gaming. Gaming. bye